Hi everyone, I'm Ricky Martin. This is the Recruiter Ricky podcast and today I have the chief exec of the REC, but more importantly, a voice and a thought leader for the labour market, Neil Carberry. Hi Ricky. Welcome to the podcast. Well, delighted to be here on your media empire. Oh, what can I say? Like any, what I say interview, like any interview, I'm going to ask you the same standard question everyone get asked. Talk to me about yourself. Oh, well, that's the, uh, the, cla- the, the million classic dollar. Open, opening interview question, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, so, uh, Neil Carberry, I'm Chief Executive of the REC, which is the UK's recruitment organisation. We've got 14,000 members. The largest UK's recruitment organisation, I'll add. Indeed. Uh, individual members and companies uh, really doing three things. One, standing up for the good that the industry does, talking to government and so forth. Two, holding to standards, so members have to meet uh, code of pra- uh, practice to join and three helping recruiters to be the best they can be so that's a really important job I've been there about a year uh, before that I, I think I went through what you'd call boot camp for okay. uh, running running a recruitment organization I was a recruiter myself uh, for quite a few years and then after that I w- have done various things around people and HR I've done industrial relations trade union negotiations mm-hmm. things like that was at the CBI for a long time so that boot camp run being involved in a membership organization and run it being a recruiter but I also do lots of um, Lots of little side hustles, which you've got to have these days. That's what the youth say, isn't it? Love the side hustles. Um, I, I sit on the council of ACAS. You know, people know ACAS as uh, the organisation where you go when you've fallen out with your trade unions in a massive strike. <laughs> uh, we're talking today, no no mentions of British Airways, but uh, okay. <laughs> there we go. I'm supposed to be flying with them soon, so I hope they sort it out. Well, we'll, we'll do our best at ACAS. <laughs> but, but actually, ACAS take a million calls a year from companies and workers looking for advice. Wow. So a really important organisation. And I'm also involved in the Low Pay Commission, which sets the British minimum wage. And again, a really important thing about raising the wage quickly, but also making sure you look after people's jobs. So lots of, I, I tend to call it a broad canvas on which to paint. And that's why I think it's important to say a leading voice in the UK labour market because it's not just one hat that you're wearing and um, I think the context for everyone listening ultimately is you're somebody who's recruited, you're somebody who's hired, you're somebody who's been involved in the membership side, you're leading a government body on professional standards in recruitment, you really do understand what people go through when mm. they're thinking, I want a job, and it's not just, I, I, I went through the process 10, 15 years ago, it's current, it's relevant, and um, as a plug to the REC, HRS is a member of the REC, and we continually have been since, since our concept. And really value that because it's a, you know, you've got fantastic business in HRS, which of course won a uh, one of our awards. Won an award year. last year, and I couldn't, couldn't couldn't get past without mentioning that. <laughs> and hint hint, we're up for another one this year. So let's see how we go. Um, but this is where it's relatable for people because the whole point of this podcast is to try and shed a light where possible on either some practical advice mm. people can take to write CVs, interview, but most importantly, how they get hired, how they can get a job. And I think it's a confusing market. I think it's hard if. It's the first time you're in the market and ultimately if you're hiring on the client side you have a responsibility for doing it right so with all the experience that you've had in all the many places have you found any common theme in either what you look for when you're hiring or pitfalls that people have when they're when they're interviewing and and writing cvs well you're spot on uh ricky with that uh picture of what recruitment is you know i we're all about doing things well because we know it changes people's lives um I think the most important thing when people are looking for for work is you want to do something that fires you up. You want to do mm. something you enjoy, and whether it's you're writing your CV or you're going into an interview, that authenticity is really important. Now, it's important not to confuse authenticity with 
you know, just rocking up and yeah. saying what you like. Um, you know, you've, preparation's really important, but thinking about the outcome that you want and thinking about how you show what you've got to give in a really good and measured way, and you don't ju- just do the, you don't sell some picture of yourself that you think the recruiter what uh, the recruiter wants that actually doesn't really reflect who you are i think that authenticity is really important in any process and you think is that the thing that when i guess when you personally have had to hire either rec cbr wherever is that always the thing you've looked for is somebody authentic are they what they say they are are they are they interested in your vision and can they add to it is is that the key ingredient for you yeah i think there's a really big thing about have they thought about why they want to be with us um, so not do they know everything about our business, uh, but have they thought about what we do and why that might be interesting to them? And there's a little tell actually when I'm interviewing that I really like. Um, I'm giving this away now, so if okay. you ever interview with me for a job at the REC, you'll, you'll know what to do it. You never know, you never uh, know. Absolutely, um, and, and it's this. If someone says, starts an answer and says, no, actually, let me rephrase that because that means they're thinking about it in the interview. They're not giving me that rehearsed okay. answer. They're, they're, they're engaging with the conversation. I think if you're a hirer, the best interviews feel like a conversation. They feel like yeah. uh, feel like some exploring ideas and people exploring what they'd like to do. And if you can achieve that in an interview as a candidate, you're really getting somewhere. I think that, and I guess in a way, in order to create the environment like that, I think when we're hiring as the interviewer or the hirer, it's important for us to create the right environment where somebody feels like they're in a safe zone, that it's not, I'm going to grill you until you cry. It is, let's find out more about you and I want, hopefully, you to have this job as much as you want this job and it's, it's creating that safe zone. Yeah, look, I come uh, from you know quite a working-class background and I think if I go back to years and years ago... Um, I didn't realise when I was starting my career out that an interview is an interview two ways. Yeah, you know, it's it's both about uh, do you want to hire me? It's also about do I want to work for you? Absolutely. And companies show themselves off in their their interviews, and it's one of the I know you always say, Ricky, you know, don't go in there without a couple of questions to ask about the role. Yeah, absolutely, that shows you're thinking about it. But also, you're going to want to know whether this is somewhere that you can spread your wings, settle in, feel that you belong, and grow your career. Um, My advice to hirers and candidates alike has always been, if you go to an interview and you come out a bit kind of churny in the stomach, not really sure, that's... You go with your gut. Yeah. If it doesn't feel right, it might. Yeah, it's more likely it. not to be right. I think what's interesting that you say that you go in there with some questions, but it's not just questions. It's the questions that are important to you. If you've yeah. got a family and you need to work around the family, what? How do the conditions work? If you're um, needing to work, reduce whatever it is. I think people go in with stock questions, i.e., what's the training look like in your company? When yeah. can I be a manager in this firm? I think going in with using your term authentic questions mm. to for you to understand gives you the ability to make a decision. I mean, what's the most authentic question you might be asked now? Have you ever been asked something you're like, wow, that's such an honest question that it's taken me back a bit? So um, actually something that I've stolen from Bruce Daisley, who's written a really great book on how to uh, have a really productive workplace and really productive work life called The Joy of Work. They published a really good book. and he found that companies that asked new hires, what helps you perform really well at work within the first week or two, got a massive productivity increase because people felt at home. Yeah. 
Um, so I think for candidates, um, you can say, you know, I like to work it uh, in this way. Um, what, you know, how do you support kind of people who want to work in the way I like to work? Yeah. Um, you write about the kind of what's the training like question. If you come into the REC and ask that question, you'll get a great answer because REC training is mint. <laughs> uh, but um, I think you'll get a stock answer. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, almost the, say, the, the mirror image of what we were talking about a minute ago, come in and make me think about what I tell you. Yeah. Because that's another good sign. And in a way, I guess if we phrase that, ask the questions you're likely to be asked to the interviewer so you understand as much as they do. Exactly. Let, let's go back to you a little bit and we'll, we'll move back on to the candidates and useful information. So you took the, the chief exec role at the REC. Mm. So the REC is the Recruitment and Employment Confederation, in case I haven't said that. Um, you took that year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what drew you to the REC and what, what, what vision are you working on that you can share just so everyone has an idea of what what you're working on at the moment. Yeah, so I'd, um, I'd been at the CBI for just over a decade, and I think if you stay in a job for a while, yeah. what you want to be able to demonstrate to a hire is that you've got a bit of progression going on. Correct, so I yeah. did, while I was there for uh, 13 and a half years, I actually did six different jobs, progressively more senior. By the end, I was running a reasonably chunky bit of, I, I basically did all UK stuff for the CBI, except Brexit, except which Brexit. is a fantastic brief to have right now, because yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not responsible for that stuff. Um, but what I was missing, um, having been a recruiter, was a bit of commercial responsibility. Okay. I ran a big budget, but I didn't have the sales responsibility I used to have as a recruiter, or indeed at earlier stages in my career at the CBI. So I wanted to get a bit more hands-on on commercial. I'd done policy-style jobs for a long time. No, I can do that. Yeah. Um, I think it's always, I, I think you always have to feel that you're learning something new, however senior you get. So that was an important piece for me. And also leading an organization, chief exec's a very different job. And having done lots of work on the labor market and being in a membership organization, if you want to go looking for that kind of business leadership role, the REC is just a great place to be. Absolutely. And a fantastic organization, really deep well of support from fantastic businesses like your own, Mr. Martin. Thank you. Um, but, but maybe... You know, maybe just in need of nudging in the right direction on a few things, on okay. digital, on uh, how we reach out to the next generation of recruiters. And if we think of how that can help people, so you're digitising, helping the recruiters of the future, mm. how is that going to help the labour force? So if you're thinking about, uh, are you looking for a job? Yeah. I want people to go out and you, and contact an REC member because REC members are bound to a code of conduct. And if you're a, a, a someone looking for a job and an REC member does you wrong, you can complain to me. Absolutely. And I've got a conduct committee with the TUC and the CBI on it who will, who will take your case on if you feel it's not been adequately uh, resolved by the uh, by the by the recruit, recruitment firm in question. Um, but I also want you to be able to go on my website and see a few uh, a, a few videos okay. ab- about you know here's your interview tips with Ricky Martin things yeah. like that uh, to, to be filmed soon just to, to, absolutely yeah. <laughs> yes for on a on a big kind of uh, grand tour Amazon style production yeah. budget no doubt um, <laughs> the uh, but in doing that we also want people to be able to navigate so click into the website and go, I'm looking for a job in accountancy in Leicester. Boom, you're going to get three or four names, three or four companies in your local area who've passed our compliance test, who you can trust, and who, if you have a conversation with, 
might be able to point you in the right direction about a few things. Maybe they'll have something that's interesting. Maybe they've uh, maybe they'll be able to point you somewhere else. But just giving people a greater guidance on how to navigate the labour market. I think what's interesting is whether this is the right or wrong thing to say to you, because obviously I work well with you guys, but I've always seen the REC as really a place for the recruiters, i.e. a place for us to adhere to contact, be given support, also a place for us to refer our customers to if there Mm -hmm. are any issues. But what we're actually saying, it's much bigger than that, is how can we help the labour market employability? And if someone wants a job, they can come to you. You've got some compliant recruiters, you've got processes, useful information. It's it's a tough term and people use it a lot, but almost a one-stop shop for helping them with their their future employability. So I think that's right. Look, I'm a great believer in purpose. I think businesses have to have purpose beyond just making money. Making money is great and it's uh, it's it's all in jobs. jobs. But actually, it's about, you know, why do you do it? Hmm. You know, why do you, and it's a bit like, why do you do your job? I mean, I've always run my career on the basis that if I don't enjoy doing it, I'm not going to do it. So I, and I'll shift, I shift, have shifted jobs a few times because I've just stopped enjoying doing something and gone off to, to do something else. I think, um, in that for us at the REC, we believe in supporting British recruiters because we think it helps British businesses grow and it, it opens up opportunities for British workers. Um, but that's because of the good that recruiters do. So a lot of our, you're absolutely right, Ricky, our specialism is in helping recruiters. Yeah. But we help recruiters not just because it helps recruiters do well, but because recruiters doing well helps everybody. Absolutely. And I think that's the key thing that, to me, is liberating to know that's the direction of where you're going. And hopefully for anyone out there thinking about hiring, even if you're a recruiter, what, who do I go to for help? More importantly, I want a job. Mm there are places that are upskilling the professional workforce the recruitment workforce is upskilled and this by no means is a sell for the rec i'm very Mm. impartial despite i I am a member because let me put it out there for everyone out there the rec make me do a compliance test every two years it's not like i just pay my money they give me the membership i have to sit a compliance test if i don't pass it i'm not an rec member so that should give confidence to people that those recruiters can help um Let's take some of these learnings because I think what we've been able to do is illustrate your both your credentials, interest and clearly your passion for the labour force and employability. If I was coming to your company today um, and I wasn't Ricky Martin, I wanted a job at the REC and even if it's not the REC, whatever you're involved in. Mm-hmm. And I gave you my CV. What are you looking for in that CV? I know you want authenticity in the person mm. and that will come out in the interview. But what are you looking for in the CV? I'm looking for you to show that you've thought about what we do in your CV. Okay, so, so you as a company and where you're going? And, what, and our sector, okay. and I'm looking for you to be able to uh, to show off. Now, in in the kind of, uh, I'm chair of an academy trust at yeah. primary school, and the teachers there all uh, use this acronym WAGOL, which stands for wow. what a good one looks like. Brilliant, I've never um, heard of it. And all the kids know it, and the parents are completely confused by it, classic education. Yeah. But for me, a CV that comes in, you know, the best example is one that's specifically referencing things that are refer- that that I've made a point. You know, I, okay. I've made I have very deliberately draft, drafted the job description and, and and the advert. If you can tick things off on the CV, that's you straight through the first screen. And the, where do they? Again, it might sound a silly question, but I think it's quite helpful. You want the CV to talk to you and look mm. like they've read what you've put together, and they, and it reaches out to you. How do they put that in their CV? Let's just say the role is asking for somebody with 
enthusiasm flair mm. there's a way of writing that can help but is there somewhere they can write that any particular section that can bring that to, to the table so i think i will look we're looking for examples we're looking about how you talk about things um how you demonstrate that what you brought mm -hmm. to to something um dry cvs yeah are very difficult to deal with especially you know eight to ten ten page ones and occasionally we see those yeah um i think for me it's about being very specific uh be feeling free to use um language which sells yourself a little bit more than we as kind of classic British people like yep. to. Um, not going over the top, but just being very, very clear. Short sentences work. Is it fair to say at this point people can be a bit selfish? Because I'm not saying they have to oversell, but they also at the same time have to yeah. showcase what they've got to offer. So I think it's really important, and you think about how you tell the story of what you've done before. So you've got, perhaps you've got a list of where you've worked before, yeah. or you've got a list of, you know, if you're early career, you're going to major a bit more on education i think in there tell us a story about what you did don't just tell us where you were um and in doing that really kind of ask questions about what you were doing and whether you can sell it in the kind of language that the company's using okay so you might have been i don't know treasurer of the drama society which skills were you showing off in doing that don't just think of it as something i did on the side start to draw out and demonstrate that you've done some of this. Uh, I think one of, the, one of the bits of advice I give to a lot of people who are early career mm -hmm. is you've got more skill, you've demonstrated more skill than you know. Yeah. So that interrogation and then getting it onto the CV in a really uh, kind of engaging way so that you don't give me, this is where I went to college, this is where I went to school, but instead it's, this is where I went to college and these are the things I did. What's interesting, you use one word, I'd say about three times in how you explain, which is the word story. Because mm. this is what CVs are. We're writing the story of our past to help us for the future. So do we want to read a boring story? If I'm being critical, nobody picks up a book or a story and they want it to be yeah. boring, they want it to be engaging. And I guess what we're addressing is give us that story and remember that story time's a good time and let's illustrate the points and help the user. And interesting for someone writing this, I think which is the point we, we, you've come up with a few times is the thing that's really jumping out to you is somebody taking the time to tailor a CV for you. Mm. Don't just write a CV. I don't think it's unfair to say, don't just write a CV and send it to 50 applications and hope that one lands because mm. it's a generic profile, which is generically saying, yeah. I can't be bothered to talk to you. So I've, um, when I'm feeling, when I'm counseling people who've had a tough time, I quite often say you need to remember that for a candidate, uh, recruitment is a kind of, a sm it is a small goal thing. Uh, you want you're looking for one job, yeah, and you might do fifty applications. Of course. Um, so you need to be thinking in terms of how do I tailor my CV to maximise the chance of this one being the one job. That's about being engaging. It's a that point about story. What have we learned from pol world politics in the last five years? Facts don't carry the day yeah you need to be able to sell it you need to be able to tell the story and be human about it um and then you know think about the person who's reading your cv they probably in lots of jobs they'll have 20 30 yeah. 40 applications uh if they're going through cvs um they're probably going to take time to read it once yeah if it's a cut so it's a couple of pages why yours and not the next person's 
And that's so, the way to think about it. And if we put that into practical terms, because again, that is, look, I've got a story, but I want to read the blurb that gets me to the point and, mm. and bring it out there. Let's say I put 10 CVs in front of you today. Mm-hmm. All the CVs, and this is very unlikely, but hypothetically, all the CVs had the same amount of experience working for the same companies and told a very similar story. Mm. Are there other bits they can do with CV or supplementary information to bring out their personality? What else can they add to that if it's the same story that others are presenting? So I think it's really important to um, to give some, uh, I suppose, presentation is okay. is important. So give me cl- give me quick access into the into the information you're trying to sell. Really draw out the, you know, if you've got I don't know management skills, for instance, show me on my first scan that you've got management skills, even before I'm I've read it properly. Okay, make sure that. Uh, you're casting your net wide from where you're drawing your uh, uh, your experience from. So if you've got three jobs, previous jobs on your CV, don't just tell me loads about what you're doing now. Just demonstrate that progression from okay. what job to yeah. job for me. Um, tell me a bit about what. Tell me a bit about what about the rounded individual as well. So it's always quite good. I I like people to put an an interest line at. at uh, towards the tail end like of the a hobbies and interest yeah. section. Don't go, don't go large on it, but just give me a sense of uh, the rounded individual because that's be- you beginning to move from it being a piece of paper to being the human being you're going to need to be in the interview. So show us the human factor and I guess, it, I don't know if it's an easy one to answer, but can you think of the most interesting interest or hobby you've ever read on a CV? If not um, your own? Oh well, um, my own. I, I don't. It's not on my CV, but I can play the steel drum, okay. and I was once jailed in Cuba. Neither of those feature in my in okay, my CV. The second no. one, I get that. <laughs> You're not hiding evidence, but I probably wouldn't lead of that. Uh, but but I, steel drum's a great one to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. It's got a great joy of going to a comprehensive school in uh, in the 1980s. We, <laughs> we had a we had a steel drum because we were really right on. And actually, I, given that I have I lack musical talent generally, yeah. it's quite easy <laughs> by comparison with many instruments. But I just think. Simply adding something like that, which is an interesting instrument, it's even got us talking probably yeah. a little bit more humorous about the topic. And yeah. I guess that's what we're illustrating, the human factor we want to see. Yeah, and, and one of the things, of course, that really helps when you get into the interview is if you have that discussion, you're interviewing me and you know you pick up at the tail end of the interview, once you're through all the, the questions you prepared about the, the, steel, the steel drum, we suddenly yeah. get into a conversation that genuinely is a conversation. And yes, absolutely, you're not assessing me on fit with the role anymore but you are still thinking is this someone i want in my organization and we always got to remember that that's running under a lot of uh, a a lot of the interview process as well people are working with people they're not working with cvs exactly um i'll ask you this question but you can outright say no and uh, i'm just keen to see if there's a consensus have you ever offered the role to somebody out of the strength of their cv but they just haven't been the person you wanted at an interview no you haven't Okay. Well, I was hoping the answer would be yes, because I can humbly say that I've done that. Ah, but, well, um, this, is, this is interesting. So why did, uh, why, uh, did you do I that? I like the role play, the role play reverse here. Yeah. And I can honestly say that for a lot of SME companies, it, particularly in the early stage of a business, there's, a, there's positions where SME companies are trying to grow, mm. and there might be a profile that you see on paper is magic. Yeah. And you're like, that is what I need in my business, because it tells my story, it, 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 it boosts my vision. And I've interviewed somebody and they've been somewhat underwhelming. Yeah. And the, probably at the point of an SME, at the stage of resources and not having them, it is, I'll make the hire and hopefully it will work out. 
Yeah. Um, and the one thing I can honestly say is, anytime we're going into a process saying, I hope it will work out, you should not hire the person. It's a really bad, the person with that. was not detrimental to my firm, but they were not right for, their, for my firm and they had a fair shot, but it didn't quite work out. So you see, I, th I think that's really interesting. And I, I'm a great believer in kind of being contextual about this stuff. Mm. If you think about the people I hire, I hire people people. Yeah. So if they can't do it face to face, whether it's in an HR team or as a lobbyist or offering advice on our uh, legal helpline to, to recruiters, um, then they're not going to be able to do the job. Yeah. There are other jobs where where perhaps the 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 it's basically the delivery of quite a hard technical skill yeah and there i can see the attraction a bit more well, especially in tight labor markets. let's think it the other way because i know that when i made that hiring i didn't make the right hire obviously nothing went wrong for yeah. everyone in the end it just didn't work out but if we put if we flip that on its head mm. and, and say if you're looking for a job when you're into if you leave a company and you think oh i don't know if it's quite right for me like i have in my example i didn't think the candle was yeah. quite right but i wanted their cv you might have the best brand yeah. with what looks like the best job but if you don't feel like they're right for mm. you please don't feel compelled to take the job absolutely um, what advice would you give to them at that point other than don't take the job mm -hmm. um how can you help them to be resilient? Because they might be led by it's the brand, it's the pay, it's the location, all the factors which aren't the reason we love what we do. Mm -hmm. They're all the supplementary reasons. Is there any advice you can give them to make them feel comfortable with turning that opportunity away? So I have one um, sort of thing that I've used for years and others that I know have used well, which is have an exit strategy for any job you take. Okay. So if you are looking at a company and you think it'd be really great to have that brand on my CV, um, maybe that's true, but think about what, don't think about the hiring manager who's sitting off with you now, think about the next one. Yeah. And if you can't stack up that in a year, two year, five years, 10 years time, you'll be able to get the next job that you want because of where you've gone now, then you definitely push things back. You know, my view's always been never take a job without knowing what the exit strategy is. And that exit strategy might be progression in the company. It might be moving on to a different uh, sector. You know, it was certainly always in my head when I took my managing directorship at the CBI that my yeah. next step was the kind of job that I've got at the REC. Um, I'm not a great believer in kind of sketching out your 40-year career plan because yeah. I think the labor market changes it's and your so interests change. It's impossible to predict. But you can think a couple of years down the line yeah. about where do I want to go. You know, now, if I think about my CV now, um, what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about what are those three bullet points that go under the REC? What are those three things that I've changed as chief exec about the REC that will make the next person who hires me think, yeah, Neil's the guy for me? That's how he's driven the change. Yeah, exa exactly. As a member, I'd like to reassure you, I'm not currently in the market. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just so happens there's a policy role coming up in HRS now. I'm only joking. Yeah, not for me. <laughs> um, but I think that's reassuring. I, I don't think there's lots and lots of jobs that you call jobs for life. And I think, I don't think there's anything wrong going into an interview and mm. saying that this is my five-year plan. And I think mm. people think if they're asked the question, where do you see yourself in three or five years? The stock answer is, if it's a more junior role, management in a few years I'd like to have a larger leadership role in five yeah, years yeah. that answer could be in five years I actually do want to 
do something different with my career and I'm looking to have the support and the development in the period to help me because yeah. some companies are happy with that they're happy with the they need someone for three to five years you want a job for three to five years mutual relationship and it's the best thing that ever happened the best people I've hired who've helped me the most are often people who've come in and said look in 18 months time I'm going to move out of London I'm going to do something fundamentally different but I've got 18 months yeah. and I can do this job and in 18 months they might help you do something else outside of London and it might be something you can't even think of right now exactly um, okay so if I start thinking of providing some final thoughts from you because mm. we, we've shared quite a lot and I think what's interesting is is people hire people you, you always like to see on authenticity and what mm. people bring to the table and you like to understand their stories are there any final bits of advice or wisdom or anything you want to share for our, our listeners just to take away so um you know, many is the time I've come across as saying I've written you a, a long one because I didn't have the time to write a short one. Okay. And the same, the same. The, while I've mentioned that about CVs earlier, the same actually goes for interviews and interview answers. Um, you can sometimes feel under pressure in an interview, and you really want to show everything you can do. You're not there to show everything you do. You're there to answer the questions and be authentic. And actually, your ability to answer the questions in a nice, punchy way to the point is going to be a bigger winner than having 52 bullet points of, uh, of experience. So just thinking through how do you um, keep that conversation flowing by almost making sure that the interviewer speaks as much as you do, that you answer the questions fully, but you do so in a way that's really kind of punchy and to the point. One way of do, thinking through that, and it's what I do when I'm doing any kind of pitch is just start from what is the outcome I want here now in an interview the outcome I want is to get to the next stage to be hired to get the job offer how do I know how I'm going to do that well the good thing is these guys have written me a list of what they want so demonstrate that as um, punctually as you can you don't need to tell people everything. Um, I've seen really good candidates damage their prospects in an interview because the the inter- the answer that was really good in the first minute yeah. is really bad by minute nine. Okay. So is that what they've contradicted it at that point? I I don't know. To be honest, it to some extent yes. But I mean how, how, f- how far have there. I zoned out of whether this is a good answer or yeah. not by that stage. So that thing about just keeping it really pointed I, I, I think you know, there's a reason there's a question answer the question and I think to add on top of that if you don't mind me just adding mm. a bit more and is answer the question that's been asked yes. because there's answering a question but there's sometimes deflecting the lack of knowledge or response by answering something to me that's one of my biggest frustrations mm. someone doesn't answer what I ask because I do sit there thinking I don't know if I could work with you because you don't give me straight answers. Yeah, and that's the risk of kind of, lots of companies use competency-based interviews. Absolutely. And therefore, you're looking to use examples, and you absolutely should use good, real examples. And again, should think about all of the things you've done and where you can draw different examples from. Coming as someone who royally screwed up a load of milk-round interviews when I left university. Love it. I, well, no one, no one in my family had ever been to university before, so yeah. I, I didn't know what you did. Um, but if that is the process that you're going through, Yes, absolutely use examples, but don't take your best example and hammer it into the question. Think about the example that best fits the question. I love it. 
Well, thank you very much. There's Pleasure. definitely, there's not just one piece of wisdom, there's multiple in everything we've said. So thank you, Neil. That's a pl- um, pleasure all the always. very best for the rest of what you're doing at the REC. I know I'll be there with you every step of the way that I Fantastic. can. Fantastic. Um, but thanks very much. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks for the invite. No problem.